Ready Player One, Assassin's Creed Origins, The Dark Side Detective, and Dave Ryan from Link to the Cast. This is Staying In. You and I, we actually talked about uh, chilling out and doing whatever you want. Um, and uh, I basically, I started thinking about it again the other day about chilling out, doing whatever you want. And then I started looking at Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the soundtrack, mm-hmm. which is the classic. This is a very, very Willington-esque segue we're <laughs> making here. Talk about chilling, chilling out and doing nothing. I was yeah. listening to Tony Hawk's soundtrack. It gets, it gets, it gets, it gets darker. And <laughs> I was listening to that. And then I was like, I was like, uh, hang on, hang on. Oh. it's not dark at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's about to get very dark. And then I was, li- I was like, mm, oh, wow. All of these extreme sports games that I remember from my childhood, they were so amazing the soundtracks like like thrasher and um uh, uh, tony hawks and uh, even sean murray's wakeboarding had some good stuff and i was like oh you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna listen to the dave mirror soundtrack and i was like oh that'll be really really exciting because i had no idea i had no idea about dave mirror the only way and i looked into all of this because i was like looking through youtube comments and people had exactly the same reaction People had said in these YouTube comments, I just came here wanting to listen to the Dave Mirror Freestyle BMX Remix uh, soundtrack, and I found out he's dead. And Peter uh, was worried about this getting dark. I know. Good lord. Uh, so, so we've just we've just glossed over uh, 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 deaths of, uh, of famous people, which is fine. Um, a lot of other people that are dead. I'm just going to do segues. Uh, today is this um, just going to be an obituary episode we yeah just, we gonna... just we just talk about just round off people who are dead <laughs> well I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna talk a little bit about that's the thing i'm gonna talk about uh, it's sort of inspired by the fact that i've been playing assassin's creed origins basically um because i've been wandering around this big egyptian landscape and like assassin's creed 2 there's bits in origins where where you're reminded of how bloody ancient absolutely everything is. So, uh, in Assassin's Creed Origins, you're wandering around Egypt and you're doing assassinating, and if you play an Assassin's Creed game, which, Dan, I know I've tried to convince you to play every single one of them. Hang on, Pete, Pete, can I ask the question that I always ask every time you play a new Assassin's Creed game? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Does this Assassin's Creed game solve the problems of all the other Assassin's Creed games? Because every time (laughs) you you, you talk to me about a game, I say, well, I played that, but I didn't like this part. And you say, oh, oh, play the next one. They completely solve that problem. So I play it, and there's another problem. What what did you not like about the last Assassin's Creed game that you played? Like most of it? I don't remember that. I think the last one I tried tried to play was Black Flag. I think in 2016, they solved the problem of Assassin's Creed games because they didn't release one. Yep. Well, uh, okay. This is going to be a, an uphill struggle, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. I, I um, so uh, I mean, ultimately, it's Assassin's Creed again, and that's okay for me. Um, they do change up the formula a bit. Like, if I was if I was like the sort of person who would sit around and write up reviews and such, I would say that essentially what it does is it ta- it, it essentially takes the idea of the original Assassin's Creed and then executes upon that idea in the way that the original developer probably intended, in so much as it's a big open world and you can approach any assassination problem in however you want to approach it, in much the same way as the more recent Hitman games have done that, but not in quite as an elegant a way. Um, Like, it isn't a puzzle, really, in the same way that the Hitman games are. Um, And Origins is, is very good. I think the combat's a bit naff. Uh, I think they've kind of changed it up for the worse. See, my experiences with Assassin's Creed have always just revolved around kind of hunting down the person I'm trying to assassinate by leaping over cool 
being all cool and leaping over rooftops yep. and yep. kind of just getting to the edge and kind of peeking over the roof and seeing where yep. he is walking down the street, then falling off said roof into yep. his guards, and then yep. spending the next three hours running away from guards. I think that's, that's a... my whole experience. And then die, and then kind yeah. of rinse and repeat. And I think that is a classic experience. I think the, the, and it is going to be in this as well, just simply it's going to be more of it because it's kind of open worldy and therefore you can't control everything. Like in later Assassin's Creed games, even like Black Flag and Freedom Cry and um, Rogue and stuff like that, um, things got a little bit more scripted and uh, you could kind of figure out what the designer wanted you to mm. do. Um, in this one, because it's open world, there's more stuff always just happening and always going on. Um, but what it has reminded me of is, because I've been thinking about it in terms of the the landscape that you run around in. And you run around in a space where the Sphinx has has been painted for about 100 years. It's been constructed and painted for about 100 years or something along those lines. It's, it's, it's a relatively m- modern structure in this space. And it looks really incredible. Like, seeing it in today's eyes, obviously it's completely different. It's battered by the sand and the paint's all gone and all that sort of stuff. But seeing it as it would have looked, or what we think it would have looked like, is really genuinely amazing. And it reminds us, of, it reminds me of, like, holy cow, like, this is thousands of years ago. But the other really cool thing about it is that they keep talking about races that came before, like like an Egypt before, which is not to do with the weird, like, Assassin's Creed ancients uh, sort of precursor race stuff. It's nothing to do with that. It's literally about an Egypt with a completely different, with, you know, a different hieroglyphic set that actually existed a couple of, you know, a thousand or so years before when this, this thing's actually set. And it just reminds me of, like, how old and ancient and crusty everything is uh, and how wonderful it is to basically, like, wander around it. But you guys are like, eh. do you do you find yourself when you when you're playing these? And I mean, I don't mean this in any kind of jokey way. Do you do you find yourself um, almost at times treating it like an educational piece in terms of, especially with something like Origins, learning more about that kind of civilization, what's going on? As I say, I've not played it, so I don't know how it treats yeah. the historical nature of it. Do you find yourself learning things, or is it more kind of is that more surface level? I do the. It's cool with Origins in so much as they now have a... You can just wander around no combat mode. Like, you can just wander around and use it as a virtual museum, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so you can, like, wander into a tomb, and then it'll go, and then somebody will say, oh, this is where people were buried, and this is how the mummification process works. Really in-depth uh, commentary to go along with it. It is meant to yeah. be apparently really, really good. <laughs> uh, have you played it? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I I have the game and I just kind of wanted to come in on that that the point of like the the educational tour because kind of to put on my other hat for a minute I am a history teacher so uh, now okay. I haven't I haven't trudged the PS4 into the the school uh, at any stage when I've been teaching to sh- show people this but Assassin's Creed is like this surprisingly good touchstone for teenagers for like even the terrible ones so like a lot of people when i introduced the french revolution as a topic to them knew more about the french revolution than i was expecting because of was it unity was the french revolution one with the nightmare faces in it yeah um so having that kind of like that passive mode where you can walk around and instead of just showing students like boring slides you can just actually walk around in a living breathing egyptian setting is great and 
the Assassin's Creed games I've dipped into in the past, I wouldn't call myself a fan of the series, but I, I kind of, I'll, I'll get an occasional one and it is the setting that sells it on me rather than mm. kind of what's going on in it. Cause it's, it's not a game that I will like play in a really long session. I'll kind of dip mm. in and out of it cause I like exploring the world rather than I'm sold on the story or the, the side quests or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do, I do like it for the virtual tourism. Absolutely. And I think that I think it does excite you about the spaces. So, for example, my, my partner and I, we actually went to Rome because we like Assassin's Creed. Like we, we went there because we wanted to wander around some of the spaces and, and, and look at the architecture and stuff like that. Um, she probably went for a highbrow reason. I basically was like, I could climb up that. Um, and uh, but with the, the thing that it's interesting that you say that it's authentic, because I, I really hope, uh, you know, to some degree authentic, because I'm really glad to hear that. Because there were times in the series where it does it does tread this really fine line between providing an environment that feels right, feels authentic, feels like people are sort of going around the business that they might have had, and 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 you know having a a, a painted sphinx, for example. Yeah. Um, and um, basically. Uh, uh, which which I think is 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 fascinating, but then the other problem with that is every then you get a game like Syndicate, yeah. and with Syndicate, like you can wander around London and you feel like oh this is great, but because this is our history, like as as you know as as people from um, you know uh, from from Britain, like this is a, a a sort of shared history that we have, and it dips a little bit into French culture as well uh, in in Syndicate. Um, we sort of know all of the cultural touchstones, right? Like you're from, you're, uh, you know, so Dave, you're, you're from uh, Ireland originally, right? Yes. Um, yes. And like, I'm assuming you, you get taught the same sort of vaguely similar like British history of like, the Brits were great, then we went and killed <laughs> a load of people oh, and it was fine. Oh, I, I, would, I would say uh, there's a bit more than just Brits are great, we killed yeah. some people and that's it. There's probably yeah. a, quite a significant chunk where Brits were not so great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was uh, the 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 way history is taught in British schools was once described to me by uh, a teacher over there as uh, being kind of uh, Britain were great explorers of the world. We went to all these other countries. Some stuff happened. We don't have to dwell on that. And then we gave them all their <laughs> land back. <laughs> um, whereas here is kind of more uh, getting into the detail on it. Uh, <laughs> Irish history holds a grudge with British history quite considerably. Yeah, and I, I think I think. Fairly, um, uh, but but I think but but basically, the, I guess the point I'm making is that we we share like we know uh, or who uh, Darwin is, right? We like we know who um, uh, people like uh, Arthur Conan Doyle are, that, those sorts of people. We know we know who these people are in the same way. I am assuming that when people played uh, Assassin's Creed Two, uh, in fact, the entire Ezio trilogy, if you were Italian, I'm sure that you would know more of who the Borgias are. Like, I only found out about who the Borgias are because of, of those games. Now the problem is when we did when they did Syndicate, I was like, "Oh, cool! It's going to be stuff I know already." How are they going to cleverly weave all of these characters together? Mm-hmm. And the answer is they they don't cleverly weave them together at all. They just weave. They just mash them. They just like like for example, there's a bit and obviously spoilers. There's a bit where you are doing like a raid on a poison chemical factory or something like that, and you've mm-hmm. been asked to do it, and by this old man who you don't really know who it is 
And um, and he goes, oh, run into there, go, go save the orphans. And you go in, you save the orphans, and you run out, and the building explodes because you've caused this huge buildup of energy, and it smashes everyone. You jump out, you do the eagle flying leap and all that sort of stuff. You fall into the hay, and a hand comes into the hay to pick you out. And he goes, Arthur Conan Doyle, great to meet you. And you're yeah. like... Oh no, like this is bad. And it's like, it's peppered with moments of like, even the intro says, we have no idea how high the Templar menace goes. And there's just a panning shot of Queen Victoria. Yeah. One of, one of the things, not to keep going back to teaching history or anything like that, but one of the things that we kind of try to teach kids as part of like developing critical thinking and mm-hmm. things like that is that whenever um, a, a work of narrative fiction intersects with actual historical events, uh, we need to be very uh, aware of the way in which they're doing that. So you could have a more documentary style where actual events are going on and the, the narrative of this game isn't in any way intersecting with those. So, like, have a game where, you know, the, the Templar or whatever never come across these historical figures. They're just mentioned or things are happening in the background of these events. Or you go full on the other side, which I would describe as, like, the back to the future kind of where you're actually, you know, uh, yeah. the, the Chuck, yeah. the Seaman Chuck the Berry. Yeah, yeah, it's your, it's your cousin Marvin Berry, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, that that's kind of way the other side of the spectrum. And what you'll find is a lot of games like Assassin's Creed will be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Because they, they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to have a faithful representation of a historical setting or event. But they also just can't resist having the toys, having the potential to kind of have, yeah, like Queen Victoria or Arthur Corlin Doyle or something like that. So what I would use these games more as is take in the architecture, take in the feel mm. of the period they they capture that quite well in a lot of the assassin's creed games about what it would have been like just as you say walk around uh, have a look at these buildings at the time um about how people are interacting with each other don't necessarily take it as an interactive documentary and and i think that that is something that games do really well i mean for example um uh definitely like one of my favorite games of last year uh was um yakuza zero and the yakuza series itself is incredibly incredibly good at that kind of world building like if you want to go and wander around shinjuku like there is a game for that and it's in the yakuza series Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah i I mean i I think we've talked about it a a little bit previously uh, but you're just playing it at the moment aren't you yeah so i i I had picked it up at some point last year and 2017 was i don't have to tell you like 2017 was a year where there was something worthy of your attention coming out every few weeks so i think i got yakuza zero in maybe it came out in like january didn't it yes it did yeah so uh i had it i was playing it for a couple of weeks and then horizon zero dawn and breath of the wild dropped within a couple of weeks of each other and that was me completely gone so with Yakuza 6 coming out in the West in a few weeks, um, I kind of said, right, I need to pick up Yakuza 0, get through that and like make some sort of progress on Kiwami as well before Yakuza 6 comes out. And um, yeah, it, it, it I can definitely see how it kind of, uh, it, it almost rhymes with that idea of the virtual tourism in Assassin's Creed, um, that it... it it doesn't capture actual events as much as much as it captures a feeling of walking around 1980s Japan. Um, and I think part of that, uh, I was talking on our podcast this week about this, um, is the idea that 
they didn't try to localize the dialogue they didn't get in western voice actors and it it keeps a really authentic feel i think it's also a game that's a bit is is actually quite brave in a lot of ways like Mm. it isn't trying to plaster over what the districts that it presents actually are like they are clearly nightclub and red light district hotspots like and and they're meant to be and they are a bit grubby but they're not they're not they're not like western grubby they're not that sort of like like leering sort of mac kind of you know like you know has like that's not smirchment on technology that's besmirchment on horrible coats like that sort of like gross grimy kind of thing it's just a like yeah like this is where you go and you pick up prostitutes yeah it's it's very matter of fact uh as yeah. opposed to being done for show yeah absolutely and it's not like there is a, there is a little bit of gratuity to it but it isn't it's handled in a in an okay way it's, it's handled in a, there's a really good uh extra credits episode actually about how yakuza zero handles um uh uh how it portrays uh sexuality in a lot of ways and it sort of under it undercuts a lot of the uh, sexual body humor. So, for example, Dan, and you'd love this with with you know a, 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 an impressionable kid wandering around. Uh, well, not wandering around. Can it wander around now? No. Can Toby do that? No. Can Toby not wander around? No. What can Toby do now? How many months is he, how, how many months have you had him? He's. I've had him for six months. Yeah. Uh, what can he do? <laughs> he can now. He can now kind of sit up. Yeah. And he can roll over. That's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually very good. All right, okay. Well, he can't wander around, but he probably can. He focus on things. Yeah, he can focus on things. Yeah, so he can. He, he can. So see, what? Like, what I, I'm I'm curious as to what you're trying to considering. You came off the back of say something like sexual bawdy humour, and you're trying to now <laughs> talk about impre- giving impressionable children. It's, it's never too young to start a child on the Yakuza series, is what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, what I'm saying is that, like, I'm sure that. There's going to be a point with you, Dan, I'm sure. Like, because I'm sure, like, I don't know, from a certain number of months, like, you can have whatever you want on the television and it'd be absolutely fine, right? You could have, like... Oh, no, 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 no. He, he, if, if his show's on on TV, he cries. Oh, right, okay, that's fine. He but, absolutely like, but, knows what shows are his and what shows are not. <laughs> I, I, do, I do too, in fairness. <laughs> but, but, like, but, like, for example, if you wanted to, you know, if, if you and, and the good lady wanted to um, watch, like, a, a, a more uh, serious film, let's say, uh, um, uh, I don't know, one where there's, like, bad work, bad language, for example, you wouldn't, like, turn that off around the, uh, around the little one right now, which Because it's like, well... Not at this stage, no. He's not going to remember. Okay, so, point is, you probably wouldn't want to have Yakuza 0 running... Uh, at the moment because there are basically whole sequences that are about um what's the nice way of saying this uh there's a whole mainstream thread of the game where you have to basically go into a shop that's essentially built for relieving stress in the middle of the day uh and uh so like so like massages and and stuff of of a sort diy massages you might diy massages (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is what we get. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could refer to it as that if you wanted. In fact, that's how I will refer to it now from here on after. Um, yeah, basically um, taking things into your own hands. Basically, uh, and um, it's an entire main thread about this, and it could be played, and it is played a little bit for cheap laughs, right? Yeah. Um, but there is. Uh, it always undercuts that humor with a sense of saying to the player, 
you know this is weird, right? Like, you know this is this is kind of pervy, what you're doing. For example, the first time you go and watch one of the um, uh, video stimulants uh, uh, available, it provides you a trophy that is publicly available on your trophy feed on PlayStation. So it just goes, congratulations, you've done this thing. And it's like, and when it pops up, you think, oh, that's really... That's a really clever way of... And, and I think the trophy is called something like I did it for the trophy. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really clever way of undercutting this really sort of bawdy humour and that kind of thing. But I, I guess you probably wouldn't want, you know, miners wandering around. There's there's an element between that and some, some other things in Yakuza 0 where the kind of... The developers are... are the designers, they're aware that uh, there's a kind of like you say voyeuristic body humor that will be associated with a game set in this place at this time and all of it is done with a tone of like look we know we know yeah. what this is yeah. we yeah. don't think this is fantastic we you know it's funny it's it's creepy it can be both of these things um yeah. and generally speaking at least if you wanted to not do that you can it's not yeah. stuff that you're forced to do yeah. throughout the yeah. game it's good it's good, but I, I definitely wouldn't. I'd definitely mute it, Dan. Okay. I was trying to think. It's like, oh, what will I talk about? Because generally, like, I've been playing Yakuza 0. Uh, I was kind of <laughs> saying there, I also have FIFA as my general cleanser from things. Nice. And it's, hard to, it's hard to kick the habit once, you, which, once, which, once you're down that rabbit hole. Which, which football team do you play as? Uh, I play as Manchester United. Or, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, that or uh, Barnet as well. <laughs> okay, and uh, is that are they are they good? Yeah. Okay, hang on. That's that's Pete, a complicated Pete, question, Peter. <laughs> Pete, I know, I know you don't know things like football. Yes, but you know that Manchester United are a good team. No, don't, don't sit I, there no, no, and try no, no, and no. say that to, they're not. To, no, no, no. In, his, in his defence, Dan, I support Manchester United and I'm not sure they're a good team. Some weeks, <laughs> I, but, I, I've, uh, I've seen, I follow a couple of different people on Twitter and every weekend I'm, I'm fucking, have to, <laughs> uh, like, I have to see a load of football chat. I'm glad you don't do it, Dan. I, I always thought they were really good because they had Cantona, they had Schmeichel, they had um, Roy Keane. Go on. They had Giggs. Yeah. I'm waiting for him to name someone who wasn't in, like, the 1993 team. <laughs> they had... Uh... Oh! Gareth Southgate? No. No. Swing and a miss. And yeah. that's that. Game over. Thanks for playing. <laughs> I got four. Here's what you could have won. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. So do they um, not do they not play there anymore? What? Sorry, they're not they're not they don't play there anymore, do they? Play where? Sorry, no, they no, don't that, play anymore. No, like, no. Thing is, thing is, uh, footballers, you know, weirdly, just like normal people, get older. Yeah, and so so the bodies don't work quite as well as they used to. Oh, so it's more of like so, a, they, so they stop playing the incredibly athletic and uh, fitness taxing sport of football. Right. Okay, well, entropy really gets in the way a lot of the time. Was it 2017 or 2016 Titanfall 2? Hmm. Uh, I think it was 2016. Was it 2016? It was 2016. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was 2016. So so I'm also hot off the press on this one. Bloody hell. Um, 
I've been, I've been playing, and I've only, I've not been playing a lot. I've only just recently started it. Titanfall two. Right. Why? Why have you gone to Titanfall two? I can't. I have. Why have I? There's a very. What's clear your mental reason. process here? Well, one, it was a gift, but a gift I asked for. Okay, fine. But it was a gift I asked for, and my reason was on my on my kind of list of shelves. What I've what I've tended to kind of somehow amass, and I think it's probably a a, a sign of a kind of a, a genre. I'm moving the kind of let me say this right again, and I think it's a sign maybe of kind of a move towards a certain genre in video games of sandbox games. There's a lot of games now which are sandbox and open world yep. and quest driven yep. and kind of find your own way through, and those are amazing games. Mm-hmm. But sometimes. I find them quite exhausting. And sometimes I want a much more linear, kind of just structured, um, straightforward A to B game. So, one, for example, one of the best games I ever played, Uncharted 4. Yeah. Which is fairly linear. Yeah. It might have some side stuff, but it's pretty much fairly linear. It's level after level after level. And that's what I kind of want at times. So I wanted something that was going to just not be... Um, open world it wasn't going to take me 40 hours to feel like I'd actually done anything in the game and I also to put it bluntly and I don't mean this in any way disrespectful to the game and people who love the game I wanted kind of a dumb shooter that's basically what I wanted okay right um, and I and when I looked at it I'd heard some good things about Titanfall 2 because obviously Titanfall originally was just the first Titanfall was just online multiplayer only I'm not a big multiplayer fan um, I'm just not very good at it so when you put me in a competitive environment I kind of just end up last and it's no, it's no fun yeah. really I'm not the kind of person who's gonna engage with random people around the world and call people bad words and that's just not me I'm gonna I'm just wants to just sit there and shoot some bad guys mm. so when I heard about Titanfall 2 it had a solo campaign I'd heard some good things about the solo campaign mm-hmm so I just kind of I, I, I put it on my list and I got it for my birthday so I was, I was very happy and I, try, I started playing it recently and it's obviously made by Respawn who um, used to obviously make the Call of Duty games um, so they were kind of behind like the Modern Warfare games before they kind of split off from Activision um, and I have to say I'm enjoying it even though I thought I'd enjoy it I'm enjoying it far more than I thought I would and I'm finding it's one of the first games I've played in a while you know you have that feeling when you play a game and suddenly you realize that it felt it, you feel like you've played it for like 20 minutes but actually it's been like two hours mm-hmm. that you've been playing it for because you just kept going and going and going and suddenly you look at the clock and you think god it's quarter to 12 i need to go to bed mm-hmm. and you kind of like maybe just one more go i haven't had that feeling in such a long time because i've been playing open world games or stuff certain games like uncharted 4 i've wanted to take my time with so i've very rationed my time mm. because this game kind of it's very kind of uh it's very quick it's very accessible mm-hmm. um it's very fun it's just kind of really easy to pick up and move with um and it's also really good i mean one thing i've always thought with it was with the call of duty game so it was, it was kind of what infinity ward were doing what respawn done they're very good at kind of the handling of first person shooters i always feel there's the substance in the gameplay and the mechanics the way they kind of construct the games and how they feel it's a very similar feeling with um bungie with the halo series so i, I love the halo series as well and i got a very similar fe- theme to that do you mean mechanically how you move through the space it's it's when when say when you're shooting the gun it's the intricacies of kind of the 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 kickback you're getting from the gun the mm. feeling of shooting that gun in the game because obviously you you or you've got the actual physical response is like a vibration in the controller. Mm. But I can play two different shooters and one feels just much more substantial 
yeah. than another. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what kind of you ha- you have it with Call of Duty, and you got it through, and you get it with Titanfall and Titanfall Two. Just that feeling of substance behind it. Um, and I I was I've been playing it, and I've not got that far. I'm I'm kind of plowing through it, and I'm just really enjoying it to the point where I'm kind of like. I want to tell myself to slow down because I'm kind of I'm just going to speed through these because it's going to be over in no time. I'm probably going to crank up the difficulty to make it a bit more harder for myself, so it it takes me a bit of time. But I did think, Pete, I have to say, I did think of you when I was playing it. Oh yeah, because because it reminded me of us in one aspect, but it very much reminded me of it of one of your favourite games of all time. Uh, okay, Hello Kitty Roller Rescue. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, no. Um, uh, the game it reminded me of, for a very specific reason, is Mirror's Edge. Yes. There is a very much... Yeah. Even though um, what Mirror's Edge did really well was that feeling of fluid movement, mm-hmm. of one thing onto another thing onto another thing onto another thing. And with Titanfall, if, you can, if, you get, if you're good enough, if you're kind of quick enough with it, you can get that same sense of fluid movement. And they have kind of wall running is a, is a big part of it, mm. is the kind of one of the mechanics where you can get the, most of the movement around kind of large gaps and kind of rock faces and stuff like that. You, you're kind of running along walls. And the the kind of the sensation of doing so is very smooth, and it kind of mm. feels very satisfying. And you can chain these different movements together, and you feel just like with Mirror's Edge, you feel kind of cool doing it. Mm, I'll yeah. run across, I'll run up a wall, um, run kind of twenty foot down the wall, then leap off, and then kind of use my rockets to lift me higher, and then I'll land on someone and take them out all in one fluid movement. And it feels really great when you manage that. And it's it it is a difficult kind of without. that could very easily feel very lightweight Mm. and i think Mm. something that mirror's edge did really well and this manages as well you have that heft you have the the weight of kind of what you're trying to do so dave have you played timefall 2 yeah so i i uh i I think i've all but finished the the campaign on titanfall 2 i was i was gonna say uh, so in terms of spoilers and such because there are some bits that are there's things in Titanfall 2 that if you don't know about them going in, they are way more effective yeah. than th- when you actually approach them. So, Dan, where have you got up to in the story? I, I, I have to say, I've, I've not got too far. So I, I've got to the point um, that the way the, for people who aren't familiar with Titanfall, um, the, the gameplay is built around both a regular first-person shooter kind of role, yep. of like a soldier type thing, but also the ability to kind of uh, leap into your... Um, what's known as a titan these kind of huge kind of mech robot suits who have kind of artificial intelligence mm. um so i've i've not long i'm i'm past the point where i've i've uh got my titan now so i'm able to able to use him now okay. and so I, i've moved slightly beyond that story and i have to say having not played titan for one so not really having any experience of kind of working with a titan it doesn't take too long into the game to, before you get into the a titan for the first time and I did have a sense of kind of occasion when that moment happened. When you get into that time for the first time, you, I, even though I had no kind of background behind it, I did feel like, okay, yes, let's do this. This, this, is, is, cool. this, this feels, this feels good. I'm really looking forward to doing this. I'm excited by this. Okay, so, so Dave, with the knowledge of where Dan is at, I think, um, uh, like, what did, what did you, what did you make of Titanfall Two? I mean, obviously, you're saying you're not quite finished it, but. Okay, yeah. So um, I, I, I kind of a lot of what Dan's saying sounds exactly like my, my early experiences with the game uh, when I started Hello. the campaign. Um, so one, 
of the the things I really enjoyed about it is that idea that uh, while you're in the Titan, even though it feels like the Titan itself has has heft to it, it has weight. It does feel yeah. like you're in this kind of large mechanical beast that's just destroying everything in front of it but there's also as you say a fluidity to the movement that you're not kind of lumbering yeah. along like in, in a lot of games that do have sequences involving getting inside a mech suit it feels like you're just dragging along yeah. the movement is a real problem but here you're just zipping around as you say like the wall run combos where you can run up a wall shooting people as you're running up the wall jumping off the wall it feels really really satisfying the <laughs> The, the campaign, I, I didn't think, because when, when you think about a, a substantive campaign in a first-person shooter, you're never really... The bar isn't set that high for you yeah. nowadays. You know, you're not expecting it to be a primary focus, more of an afterthought to teach you how to play the multiplayer mode that they really want you to play. Um, but Which is a shame, because there are a lot of kind of older first-person shooters. I remember all the Halo games. That, that that campaign, although obviously the multiplayer eventually kind of took over as being one of the prime focuses, those mm. those campaigns in those first few games were, were fantastic. And yeah. you got a real sense of um, kind of history and kind of importance behind the story that was being told. Yeah. I think it's kind of coming back now as well with the, the machine games. Uh, Wolfenstein games are very story focused. Like the not even having a multiplayer mode in Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus shows you where their priorities are. They want to craft a story around a shooter. That campaign mode in Titanfall 2 is great. And as you were kind of alluding to there, Peter, like as the story goes on, there are some really interesting and and wild directions it it gets taken in. And some ways it subverts what you're expecting from big, dumb mech shooter. Yeah. Um, but at, at its very base level, like it's just a very fun game to play, and I think it's the closest I will get to a a really good substantial Pacific Rim game. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really good comparison, actually. Yeah. There was a game I picked up again recently. Um, that got a port to the Switch. So this is as good an excuse to, as any to talk about the, the Irish game scene, such as it is mm-hmm. uh, at the moment, because it's still kind of an emerging scene, uh, independent games yeah. over here. Uh, I was trying to kind of trace back what the kind of the genesis of games over here in Ireland are, and I found out a, a couple of interesting things when I was looking at it. So uh, about the earliest trace of any sort of big games company being over here in Ireland was Atari had a plant down uh, in the south of Ireland uh, from 1979 to 1998 where they manufactured arcade cabinets at a rate of about 2,000 a week. Um, Wow! Sorry, 2,000 a month. Sorry. Okay, (laughs) that's still good. uh, From 79 to 98 and then kind of after that, uh, my favourite little fact about the, the, the burgeoning Irish scene was that in 1988, there was a company called Emerald Software based out in Waterford, which is on our southeast coast. Um, and right. they made Michael Jackson's Moonwalker for the Commodore 64 and MSX. That, wow. That, that Oh, okay. So it was the port of a all right game. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That sounds good. Um, but since then, we've had a lot of kind of, uh, because we, we have a famously low corporate tax rate, there's a lot of companies like EA, uh, Activision Blizzard, uh, Zynga, Havoc, they've all brought kind of a lot of their customer service operations out here. So in terms of the presence of the the big boys on the scene, that's all we've got. Uh, then there's a big gap, and then we've got Irish independent developers uh, and 
what one of the things that really helped kickstart the scene was that about four years ago, uh, John Romero moved here to Ireland. Uh, he lives in Galway now, himself and his wife, Brenda. Oh. She is a lecturer down in the University of Limerick, and they kind of moved over to see what the story was in terms of, is there a scene here in Ireland and what can we do to try and kickstart things? Um, so there's a lot of independent uh, studios have started cropping up in over the last 10 years or so. Um, I think the only games that I had heard of before that had come out of the scene, uh, before the game I'm going to talk about, are The Little Acre and Guild of Dungeoneering were both Irish games. Oh, they're both pretty damn good, actually. Yeah, so uh, then we have this uh, Dark Side Detective, which is what I was here to talk about. Uh, and they're from a uh, developer called Spooky Doorway out in Galway. <laughs> okay. And what it is uh, on the face of it is a, a real throwback, a point-and-click adventure game uh, that, in terms of its narrative, is kind of like it's part buddy cop narrative and part sci-fi supernatural game uh, where you play a detective, Francis McQueen, and uh, he has his partner with him, Officer Dooley, and they're part of this... Uh, Twin Lakes Police Department. You can see what that's a reference to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they're the dark side division. So if there's any case that's a little bit weird, a little bit creepy, a little bit spooky, these are the two guys you call. Um, the game, the way it's set up is that there are six, six small cases um, that are the kind of, or chapters you might call them, of the game um, that are all kind of, one of the things I really liked about it, I picked it up about, is it about, six months ago maybe on steam and the thing that's great about it is that you can sit down uh play through a case in less than an hour and be perfectly entertained and then you can you can put it away come back to another case later there's no kind of thread going through all the cases that you absolutely need to stick around for really long sessions for um the the thing that really kept me coming back to it that I really love about it is, is the humor of the game. I think it's it's some really, really sharp writing in it. And the humor kind of runs the gamut. Um, there's a lot of kind of referential humor. So if you're kind of like Gen X or later than that, there's going to be a lot of kind of references, both kind of obvious and subtle that you... Uh, will probably enjoy in it. Um, there's a lot of kind of fourth wall breaking humor, surreal humor, dry humor. Uh, it, the I was trying to think of like a first people like yourselves who have never heard of Dark Side Detective. Like, what's the best comparison? And in some ways, it's like if Garth Marenghi's Dark Place was a game, but also a buddy cup. That situation. That, that is like I was just looking at it on Steam and I was like, ah, oh, this looks pretty cool, like pixel art and all that sort of stuff like Garth Marenghi that that is the thing that's making me go yeah cool okay yes this I'm on board like okay yeah. so so it is it is Pete's already like purchased it's yeah, already, it's yeah, already it's, in his card uh, just take my credit card uh! um yeah okay that sounds really so is it so it's point and click adventure yeah um how does it handle the major problem with uh point and click adventures um, mm. traditionally, which is as soon as you stop knowing how to move forward, it, it gets real tedious real fast. Like, I, I find Monkey Island, for example, like, when it's... when I, I love everything about it, every single thing about it, except mm-hmm. for the puzzles, because the puzzles are just yeah. way too hard for me. I get up to it, I get stuck because I'm dumb, and then I'm yeah. not enjoying it anymore. Yeah, so, like, as you say, kind of the, the, the main 
uh, type of puzzle mechanic is the the classic point and click uh, find a MacGuffin X to put into slot Y or figure out some way that two items will combine with each other Um, one thing I will say is that it's not the way in which those puzzles are solved uh, with a couple of exceptions I was not really getting stuck on them because if you are kind of thinking about it logically it's not too much of a leap to figure out what needs to be done and even when it is a little bit i don't know what i'm doing i'm just going to kind of poke and prod and wander around the different rooms to figure out what it is that writing comes back in again and and it stops you from getting angry at the game because every time you poke something or interact with something there's some sort of line some sort of dialogue tree with another character or something that's going to go okay well i'm kind of glad i went out of my way to get that in the course of just going into a random room i ran into the ghost of terry pratchett and there, <laughs> there are like a few ghosts of famous literature literary figures like there's okay. the ghost of ed the ghost of edgar Allan poe is up in in a darkened room feeling really sorry for himself um <laughs> to get back to the puzzles there are some kind of puzzles that that change that formula of trying to combine items and figure out what to do with them there's usually one or two per episode that are a little bit different than that so it's not 100 percent of the time that kind of monkey island or grim fandango where you need to combine items that no one would ever realistically combine and yeah. you kind of it, you you feel like how is someone supposed to know this unless they already know the answer there's there's you, none of those cases in this the, I don't think. the the um the the analogy i i really love i heard it years ago um and the analogy i really like is bad point like good point and click adventures you should naturally figure out what's what you should be combining with everything else bad point and click adventures you have to basically criminally profile the designer to figure mm-hmm. out what they thought you yep. like figure out their thought process as to what's a good joke or yeah. like like how can these two or three different objects go together in such a weird way that nobody would kind of stumble across it yeah so there's like uh, i remember when um grim fandango came out remastered for the ps4 and i decided i hadn't played it since i was a child so i was going to play it again and um there's a puzzle early on in that game that involves balloon animals right that i could not remember how i solved it years and years ago and i just was staring at the screen getting more and more annoyed and then it literally was as you say like i i just went what would tim schaefer have done here that would have made him laugh a lot just yeah. to annoy people and that's how i figured it out <laughs> yeah and um, it's but, and, it, and it's yeah it's not great in that way so does it uh, manage to avoid that i never had to look up a guide or anything like that but i was just you know there's that tipping point where you go from this is challenging but i think the answer's right in front of me to this is dumb and i don't want to play video games anymore there's that tipping point yeah. and it was right as i was about to veer into just out and out rage uh i figured out what to do and it was over so for like 99 percent of the the puzzles going on in there are relatively straightforward like the game isn't there to try and beat you the game is there to be entertaining and these puzzles are the mechanic they've decided to kind of uh use to bring you through Hmm. um the the style though like um is another thing that that kept me coming back as well as the writing like you were saying there peter when you're looking up like the pixel art style is is really cool looking there's a there's a nice uh 
soundtrack that in a lot of ways is very stereotypically if you made this tv show in the mid 1980s the soundtrack to this game is exactly the soundtrack you have in your head right now thinking about that yeah um so yeah it's just this game it came out uh last year uh by this small studio in galway a lot of people who have like if you look at the the scores on steam and things like that a lot of people who played it really really like it and a couple of people who have recommended it to have liked it as well um it just doesn't seem to for whatever reason like it's a small point and click adventure and it's not really point and click adventures aren't the the popular genre to be making games in anymore really um but for whatever reason it's just kind of gone under the radar for a lot of people I've started reading um, Ready Player One, mm. which is a, which is a film coming out soon, um, and I actually got this as a gift from um, uh, Chris Darby of, of this parish. Who? Um, Chris Darby, your friend. Uh, that yeah, that that geek. Mm, um, don't like him. Don't <laughs> like him. Um, so yeah, he he bought me this book. Um, I think it was last year he bought it for me, um, <clears throat> and I, I finally got around to starting it. Kind of a little while ago knowing kind of that the film was coming out and it, it's it's a book that to to give you the kind of the a brief overview of what the, the the idea of the book it's it's the book revolves around a kind of a virtual virtual reality kind of uh environment called the oasis and the oasis has kind of taken over to the point of uh, many people live their lives through the oasis because the world around them has kind of failed and it's 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 almost dying um depending on kind of financial ruin and kind of all these all these different kind of uh, poverty sp- has spread through the world so what so it's a, it's a dystopia but it's not a post-apocalyptic it's on the verge of a dystopia right, I right, think. Right, it, right. It, it's it's absolutely kind of at that peak tipping into dystopia it's not quite there yet um and so the idea is that um this uh environment this kind of virtual reality world of oasis uh, was created by this kind of figurehead and he has kind of given it to the world in the se- similar to kind of um tim berners lee with the internet he kind of created the internet and then just let the world have it as opposed to kind of charging people for it and all on all that so just kind of created this thing which is incredibly important and just gave it to the world and that's the idea with this is that the the oasis has been given and then if you have the device that allows you to log into it it's yours you can do whatever you want in there um and the, the 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 plot of the the kind of the story is that the the creator has died, and in his will he has kind of laid out this kind of big long riddle and um, scavenger hunt, really. Yeah, kind of this opus of a will, kind of saying that if you can solve all these riddles and all these puzzles, at the end of it, um, there is the prize of my company my multi-billion dollar company you will have it but you have to solve these riddles and they're incredibly complex and no one can do it um but the the kind of the plot device this whole thing is that the creator um james halliday is obsessed with 80s culture and so the game is littered with 80s culture so when we talk about these references for 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 the for the book it's it's based on all these kind of touchstones in culture, but the book itself, in addition, adds more references, which I think, I don't know if kind of, Dave, I'm not sure if you've kind of um, read any of the book. There's a lot of, I've struggled a little bit with it in terms of um, some of the enjoyment, because it's, I feel as though some of the references 
are a case of the writer saying hey look what i know yeah. i know about this obscure movie because i've i've written it down quite there's quite a few times where the the kind of the lines will be it's just like it's this happened which is just like this as i saw in this film and this film and this film and it it's jarring at times so for example some of the um the 80s references and i know some of these i haven't read them in the book yet but i've seen them in the film trailer so i know they're in there um is stuff like the delorean car from back to the future there is the iron giant um these these are in the trailer um as far as i've got in the book one of the first puzzles they have to um solve is they go through the tomb of horrors which is a very famous um uh puzzle and kind of level so to speak from dungeons and dragons yeah so tomb of horrors obviously kind of written by gary gygax in there and that's the the main creator was supposed to be a fan of this and it's i'm enjoying the book and i really am enjoying the book and it's 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 nice having kind of a piece of media what's a book and obviously gonna be a film that doesn't treat gamers like the stereotype yeah. And one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire whole life, which Sam seemed to enjoy, mm. um, is the film Gamer. Yeah, that's a that's a top film. Love that film. <laughs> Not a top film. It's so okay. good. The plot of Gamer is um, there is people on death. People on death row are controlled by um, people at, <laughs> in the real world <laughs> in death matches. Oh, okay? it's so bad. And the the two main gamers that you see in the game, one is like a. A child, a prepubescent child yeah. who just likes to shoot people. The other is like a thirty-year-old man who spends the entire game just sat on a chair in his pants, yeah. eating crisps. <laughs> so, and good. those are kind of the two kind of extremes of what the stereotype of a gamer is. Well, all three of us just... are in our pants, so like, I'm pretty sure like that's it. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've... yeah, people, we didn't want to be. You forced us to do that to record. <laughs> yeah, so no recording. You said you wouldn't come on if we weren't I... in our pants. I can't record unless everyone's in their pants. You um, told me the microphones didn't work. <laughs> you tell, yeah, well, uh, yeah. well, I'm glad that you believe me about the cameras as well. So, um, yeah, uh, so, so it's nice that we're treated like our thing is and important. I, think I don't, I don't want to say it's nice that we're treated fairly because that implies that this is the first thing that's ever done that. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah, not. No, no, yeah. yeah, gamers are absolutely are mainstream and are, are treated absolutely fair. But it's it's nice to see maybe maybe it's nice that it's like a big blockbuster film directed by Steven Spielberg that it's given kind of a, an element of importance almost mm. with this. And it is just, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not going to go down as one of Steven Spielberg's greatest films. I know that because it's just not. It's, it's quite a throwaway popcorn um type of story and that that's what it is and don't get me wrong steven spielberg one of the best at making throwaway popcorn films and i will i will watch this film and i'm sure i will enjoy it um but i do like the fact that gaming isn't treated as a bad thing yeah because i think sometimes in certain forms of media it can be but is it is does the book essentially treat geek culture like is it essentially the equivalent of walking through a forbidden planet like no because it's not it's not treated as geek culture it's treated as culture no but 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 that's what i mean like is it is it is it treated in such a way that that feels 
genuinely meaningful to the overarching story and therefore the tone of what the um the book is trying to achieve or is it is it done in such a way as to say hey remember the jolly green giant commercials for sweet corn he that was good i'm assuming that's in it because like that obviously yeah yeah no it, it it absolutely does that it does the hey remember the jolly green giant i do because i remember these things i like sweet corn but i think yeah it's don't get me wrong it's absolutely gay a film about a film and a book about video games it's, and that's undateable what i what i would say is that it's not in 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 the context of the story and in the the kind of the film what will be is games it's not about people playing games it's just about games being a thing in life right yeah and that's what everyone does when you play you're not a gamer you're just a person hmm. because because of the nature of the the oasis environment yeah. everyone is involved with it and it's become a regular thing so people will go to school in the oasis as opposed to going to school down the road so it's just a, it's a way of allowing kind of education to be more accessible and all that stuff but it i like the fact that it's you're not treated as almost like an i think in the past films have treated the gaming community as an outsider element people go into a room by themselves and play games and then they and then they re, and then after leaving that they return to the real world yeah now you have that because they're going into an environment a virtual environment but that's where everyone is that is the real world yeah more the, or less the, as, as far as I, that's the impression i get anyway yeah the the book and and uh, presumably the film as well treat uh gaming and video games with a level of just matter of fact ubiquity that yeah. like you don't consider someone with a television in their house to be like a television addict necessarily right. much as you don't consider somebody with this oasis headset in their house to be any different from anyone else because everyone has one everyone uses it um i i read that and they, everyone uses well. it for different methods or different yeah. reasons but they just it's just a part of their life yeah, uh, I I read the book a couple of years ago as well, and I I totally get the kind of the common threads in the terms of the the referential humor that I was talking about, Dark Side Detective, and in this, um, the one thing I would say uh, about Ernie Klein's book is that I think maybe his editor could have hacked some of yes. his 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 references out because the the different the key difference for me, Peter, in the, the between the book and the game I was talking about is. Right. If you take all the referential humor out of Dark Side Detective, for example, you still have a plot that makes sense, characters that can still interact because it's not the the kind of the sole pillar on which the writing and the humor stands on. It's just one of the pillars it stands on. Whereas if you take all the 80s references out of Ready Player One, the book, it doesn't make complete sentences and that's the point that you that you make i currently i'm sat right on that fine line kind of swaying towards the in the the side that i'm enjoying and the side that's kind of jarring for me it's the here's three references of obscure films and tv yeah. shows and just 80s products that i know of that you don't know hmm. and that's that's what i'm i'm getting through. i mean i am enjoying it absolutely there's, there's there's no reason i would i would stop reading or anything like that yeah um but it's it's it is a fine line to walk and that's why we say with with references Mm. it's that fine line and so it's very easy to just to fall off the edge of that and then it just becomes about the references as opposed to the story and and the the references need to inform the story the story otherwise the story is just kind of 
a vehicle to have references and do you think maybe that's one of the reasons people might have booked against particularly the first trailer when it came out was because it was out of context all the references packed together to get everyone's attention like you had the iron giant there you had a bunch of deloreans racing around even and i'm pretty sure because of the timeline she can't possibly be in the book version but tracer from overwatch is in one of the trailers as well so like could it be that just in it in 60 seconds putting in as many references as possible doesn't do justice to i mm. i what i think steven spielberg is a guy who i think could uh kind of inject some subtlety into the the original um the, the original work here and just kind of tone it down a little uh, except for at big kind of action scenes maybe yeah there's, there are there are obviously key plot points which you can't avoid the, yeah. the references and that's fine that I, that doesn't bother me in the slightest it, i'd be really interested to see what it's like because i have seen kind of reviews on either side of it yeah i've seen reviews saying that it's fantastic and i've seen reviews saying that it's just a bit of a mess so i'm which is exactly like the book as well hmm. yeah and i'm fascinated to see kind of how how i will view it i think most of the time not every time most of the time steven spielberg he's he's expert of enough as a storyteller mm. that he would carry the he would carry it along at a, at a fair pace and i would enjoy it I, I can't see myself knowing the content knowing that he's a good story and knowing that he's at the helm of it me not enjoying it not saying that i would love it but i can't see myself not enjoying it because i think all the components are there for it to be quite an enjoyable rip-roaring adventure yeah if he if he can get in there and make it a movie that's that's dumb because it's packed with all these kind of uh, 80s popcorn movie references or video game references but at least he's gone in and made it make sense then i i think i'll be fine with it the thing with films is i don't give a shit like that's that's the best thing about films i go yeah. into films and i just go brilliant entertain me someone fucking give me a box of popcorn and put some colors on the screen great yeah like and so and to I, fair spielberg does that better than most right yeah. like i i i think of the the all of cinema almost uh, on the same level as like i don't know something you would flick through on the television like i i couldn't give a give a toss so i think i'll probably like it i think i'll probably sit yeah. there and go mario that was staying in with Dan Frost, Peter Willington and special guest Dave Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode, then make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Mixcloud, Acast, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts from. If you'd like to leave a review too, then we'd be really grateful. Visit stayingin.podbean.com for more information and links to all the things we've covered in this episode. And come find us on Twitter, on at StayingInPod. And if you'd like to hear more from Dave, who is more commonly joined with his colleague Mark, then be sure to subscribe to their weekly podcast, Link to the Cast, which features all the latest stuff and nonsense from the world of video games. On every show, there's also the Link to the Cast book club, which looks back at a great game from the past. Previous shows have ranged from Tetris to Doom, all the way up to modern classics like The Last of Us and Vin Diesel's Wheelman, which is what Pete and I suggested should be <laughs> looked at when we were on Link to the Cast. So make sure to check that out, because it is a classic Vin Diesel. Oof. 
Uh, you can find and subscribe to Link to the Cast on your podcast provider, previously mentioned, uh, or you can follow them on at Link to the Cast on Twitter and follow the links from there. And remember, whatever you do, just chill out and do whatever you want. <laughs>